How's everyone doing? It's a blessing to be here, isn't it? Praise God for his blessings, and I bring you greetings from Maranatha Seventh-day Adventist Church, your brothers and sisters across the way. We want to extend greetings to you and also from our pastor, Pastor Andre McLeod. It's always a pleasure to be here and worship with you, my brothers and sisters here at First Church. I thank Gary again for the invitation, and it's always a blessing, especially in this time where we're somewhat closed down, to be able to come together insofar as possible, even if it's online, to worship the Lord. Amen? It's good to come together, and we praise God, and we're going to pray that things will continue to open up, and that we'll be able to do it safely. And I also thank the Lord for what I heard earlier, that you haven't had one case of COVID here. What a blessing. Amen? God is awesome. We've had a handful of cases at Maranatha, but by and large, we've been pretty well, we've been doing pretty well as well. So please, let's just keep each other in prayer. And we're going to go forward with the Word of God. The Word of God is spirit and it's life. It gives us the opportunity to know that there's a different way to live, that we don't have to live the way the world lives. We don't have to give in to our inclinations. We don't have to give in to our own native sinfulness. There's hope. There's an opportunity for eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace and love of God. So with that in mind, I want you to think with me on the proposition. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal a deal. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to give us ears that will hear, impact our minds so that we will understand, and give us hearts that will be willing to do what it is that you are asking us and entreating us to do. In the worthy and matchless name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Let's make a deal. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. He contemplated his new position, his new responsibilities, and his mission, and frankly, he was contemplating this with much fear. But God assured him of his presence, his power, and his direction. Now that he has the assurance, the time has now come for preparation. You see, faith without works is dead. There's a time to be still and listen for the voice of God, to be still and know that God is God, but there's a time when we need to move after getting instructions. And this time, especially, it was time to move and to move in silence. Sometimes you have to move in silence. And at this time, in moving in silence, what he does, he calls two men to him. Two men out of the Israelite congregation to spy out the land. A reconnaissance mission, if you will, to Jericho. You see, see, Joshua decides to do this secretly because he doesn't want a repeat of the disaster that took place 40 years earlier. Oh, you remember when the 12 spies went into the promised land to spy out the land, then they come back and give a bad negative report to the children of Israel. They rebel, and as a result, they had to wander for 40 years. 
instead of going into Canaan. Joshua said, oh no, it's going to be different this time. I'm going to call two people. They're going to go secretly, spy out the land, and then report back to me. We have to be prepared when God gives us a mission. So the spies go into Jericho in the evening, and it made sense for them to go in the evening because they're spies. So you kind of want to ease in. You kind of want to go in through the cut, go unrecognized. So it made sense to go in in the evening because in the evening, that's when all the harvesters came back in. So what they were going to do is just kind of ease on back in to Jericho along with the harvesters. Not only would they do it this way, would they ease in with the harvesters so they wouldn't be detected, what they also needed was a place to lay low. And what they did, they decided to go to a harlot's house, Rahab's house, see what they could do. They could mingle in with the other patrons and be undetected. But there was a problem. You see, the people of Jericho, the sentinels and all the rulers and the leaders, they realized that Israel was within striking distance and they were camped out. As a result, they were very afraid. They were so afraid that they were on the lookout for anyone or anything that looked unusual. So even though they came in with the harvesters, even though they eased into Rahab's house, they still were picked up because any stranger was viewed with suspicion. So somehow word gets back to the king. There are two spies that have come into Jericho and they've entered into Rahab's house. So what does the king do? The king sent, and they said, oh, not only are they spies, but they're Israelite spies. How they figured that out, I'm not sure, but they were found out somehow. So the king sends messengers to Rahab's house and says, hey, I need you to bring out the two spies who came to you. They are spies from Israel. I need you to produce them. Bring them out to me. Rahab says, listen, there are two people who came, but I don't know where they came from. You know, I don't know where they came from. I don't know where they were going. But all I know is when the gates were getting ready to close, they left. So they just left and the gates were closed. So if you go out now, you should be able to go find them. In the meantime, she's already hidden them on the roof, one by one in different areas among the stacks of her flags. So taking her word, they're like, okay, well, before the gates close, they ease out, let's go chase after them. So they go and pursue them. Now that the emergency is over, and now just before they lay down for the night to rest, Rahab tells them in verse 9, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt. And we know what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, Jehovah, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now this being the case, 
Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you a kindness, you show me and my father's house a kindness, and give me a true token that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said to them, Get you into the mountain, lest the, poor, the pursuers meet you, and hide yourself there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward ye may go on your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this oath that you have made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, and thy brethren, and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood is going to be on his head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in this house, his blood will be on our head, if any hand come upon him. If thou utter this our business, then we shall be quit, or we shall be released from this oath, which you have made us to swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she went, and she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Thus reads the scriptures. Let's make a deal. I thought it would be instructive, or the spirit told me that it would be instructive to kind of dissect how it is that she got to the point that she was able to make this deal. What were the components of her making this deal? I mean, think of the boldness and the bravery of this woman to make the deal that she made for the salvation of her house. And what we're going to see is we're going to dissect how she got to the point or how she was able to make this deal. First point, she heard a word. The word is spirit. The word is life. She heard a word. We saw it in verse 10. She said, we've heard what? What did she hear? She heard how the Lord had parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel. She heard how he was able to help the Israelites, this ragtag group of people, defeat these mighty kings. How he was able to defeat, enable them to defeat Sion, the king. And then he turned around and enabled them to defeat Og, the king. This little group of people was able to do these mighty things. And then she heard that the Lord parted, like he parted the Red Sea, he parted the River Jordan at the point of flooding for the children of Israel to cross over into Canaan. She heard a word. Why is it so important that we hear a word? Well, Romans tells us this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says that faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. She heard 
a word, and it made an impact on her. The question is for us, what is the impact of the word on us? Does it cause us to move in faithfulness? Or is it something that we just read just to say we read it? We just read to check off a tick list on our list. Well, I'm a good Christian. I read my word today. But does it have an impact? Does it make us move in faith in God for the saving of ourselves and those around us? Have we heard a word? And what is its impact on us? See, she heard a word, and that began the deal-making process for her. Because, see, when she heard that word, she kind of thought about herself. She thought about her situation, how she could benefit from this God who could do such mighty things, can do the impossible for this small group of people who on their own would never be able to accomplish the things that they accomplish. She heard a word, and it gave her hope. What else led her to making a deal? She made the deal because she seized her opportunity. See, it's one thing to hear the word, but how are we acting on it? You see, Rahab, and let's not get caught up and get hung up on the fact that she lied, but she seized an opportunity. She seized an opportunity. She got there, the king said, give me the men. Give me those men that you brought out that came to your house and bring them to me because they're spies. Look. I saw that these men came, but I don't know where they came from. She knew where they came from. She knew good and well who they were. How do we know that she knew where they, who they were? Verse 9 tells us. Verse 9 tells us that she knew this. She says, look, I know that the Lord has given the land into your hand. She knew who those men were. How would she know that? They didn't have time to tell her all that. She knew. She immediately, as soon as they walked into her house, she knew who they were. She had already heard a word about this mighty God, and now she sees two representatives from the very group that this God was working with, and she's like, oh, here's my shot. I'm going to take it. She heard a word, and she received an opportunity and she grabbed it. The sentinels in Jericho weren't the only ones who were looking out for spies. Rahab was too, but her motivation was totally different. They wanted to destroy the lives, the lives of the spies, but she wanted her life and the life of her family to be saved by those spies. She was on the lookout. So one, she hears a word and two, she's alert to an opportunity. And that's what we have to be. We have to be alert to the opportunities that God gives us to move and to grow in grace. Opportunities for growth and being closer to him. Opportunities to then share his word with others. We have to be on the lookout for opportunities. But we got to be informed by the word and be able to see it when it comes. See, the word of God is a blessing. It's spirit. It's life. It helps you to be able to discern between truth and error, to be discern between salt and sugar, crazy and sane. The word is powerful. So when we see an opportunity, being informed by the word causes us to grab that opportunity like Rahab did. That led to her making the deal. She's already got it formulated. She knows who they are. 
She's heard the word, and now they're in her house. I've got a chance. What else does she do? Not only does she hear a word, she sees, she sees an opportunity, she seizes it, and not only does she seize it, she confesses the God of heaven. She confesses faith in the God of heaven. It's one thing to hear a word. It's one thing to have an opportunity. But what do you do with it? What do you do with it when the Lord has given you a chance to come close to him? What do you do with that opportunity? I tell you what she did. She confesses him. In verse 11, she says, As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man. Because of you, for the Lord, and she addresses him by his name, Jehovah. For the Lord, Jehovah, your God, is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She's acknowledging him as the covenant God and that he rules over everything. You know how it was back in those times. When people had gods, they were gods over certain territories. They were gods over certain regions. They were gods over certain towns. But what she's saying here, no, Jehovah, and she's being very specific, is God over heaven and earth. In other words, I acknowledge him as God over everything. She confesses the Lord Jesus Christ because she heard the word. She saw her opportunity, and she says, you know what? I want a piece of him. I want to be part of him. I want him to accept me. He is God Almighty. What does the Bible say? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that he is Lord, you will be saved. And she confessed Jehovah. Because remember, the Jehovah of the old is the Jesus of the new. So she confesses Jesus. It says here in one commentary, it says, How Rahab learned of the true God is not revealed. There had not been time for her to get much information from the spies. Her chief knowledge came, no doubt, from the reports of Jehovah, the God of Israel working for them. After making her confession of faith, Rahab proceeded to enter into covenant relations with God and the representatives of his people for the preservation of her life. Now, why was it? This is something that strikes me. She made such a key decision. She made such a powerful decision. She made such a life-changing decision to submit herself, to confess the God of heaven, to confess that Jehovah was Lord of all, and to submit herself to him. Why was she so ready and able to do this, but the others weren't? They heard the same report she did. They heard about the same works that, she, that he, that, that she, they heard about the same works that she heard. They heard about the marvelous things God had done for Israel that she heard. Why is it that they were fearful but unrepentant, but she gets the word, and she's ready to, to throw all in, to go all in with Jehovah. The difference is reception. It's one thing to hear a word. It's one thing to have an opportunity. But it's one thing as far as how you receive that word. It's a totally different thing. You've heard the saying, the same son 
the same sun that's in the sky, that melts butter will harden clay. So it depends on the recipient. Are you going to receive the word of God with joy and gladness, opening up your heart and being willing for him to come in and to make you over? Or is the word of God going to have the effect just to harden me into what it is I want to do? To harden me in my own ways? To cause me to become even more, in, uh, uh, to more, more just intractable in my sin? Is it going to cause me to just be more stubborn? Or is it going to cause me to want to give myself to something and someone who has so much more better plan for me than I could ever plan for myself? What is the reception? That was the difference. She was in covenant or came into covenant because she had a heart that was open to the move of God. It says here in one commentary, it seems curious that this woman of ill repute was the only resident of Jericho whose heart was not hardened. Instead, she opened not only her home, but she opened her heart to the God they served. And she, in turn, learned to serve that very God. And see, this is a lesson to us. This is a lesson to us, because we have to be careful as Christians, those who have been redeemed, those who have been redeemed from the pit of sin, whatever that sin is, we have to be careful not to turn our nose up to people who we think are having living lives of ill repute. Is sin, sin? Yes. Is wrong, wrong? Yes. But we better be really careful about how we deal with people, because we don't know how God is moving on them. We don't know how God is working with them. We don't know how God is wooing them to him. These very people may prove eventually to be more faithful than ourselves if we're not careful. And it also, this is a lesson to me also, that I have to be careful not to suffer from selective amnesia. What do I mean by that? Yeah, people have issues, and there are some people who have some serious issues, and guess what? So do I. Yes, there are people who are drunkards and this and that and the other, but guess what? Each and every one of us have issues. You may not be a drunk, but you got something. I might not be, you know, on the corner, but I've got something that God's working on. We all have issues. There has been something that God has rescued us from and is continuing to work with us through in order to perfect us into the people that he would have us to be. So when we meet these individuals, we have, to, we have to pursue them with the same love and patience and remembrance of where God has brought us from in order to bring them to the place as well. We got to remember, because you didn't see faith like this every day. So we have to remember what God has done for us. And then reach out to others so he can do the same for them. So what else here? She heard a word. She sees an opportunity. She confesses the God of heaven. And then she makes her pitch. Let's make the deal. She goes in to seal the deal. 
We see it in verses 12 and 13. I love it. I love her moxie. She says, in essence, in verses 12 and 13, okay, I helped you. Now you help me. I did you a solid. So now you return me a favor. I need you to save my mama. I need you to save my daddy. I need you to save my sister. I need you to save my brother. I need you to save everybody who has anything to do with them. I need you to save Mookie. I need you to save Pookie. I need you to save Jim Bob. I need you to save Sally Sue. I need you to save everybody that concerns me. She was making a deal with these people. I did you a favor. I saved you from the king of Jericho. Now save me. Now notice something here. She's making this deal, but notice the faith that she has. She has already assumed the outcome. It's not even like, oh, you know, they're going to come to attack. If they win, you know, I can go with them, but they might lose. No, she's already assumed the outcome. No, I need you to save me because you're going to win because God is with you. This heathen harlot has, all, has more faith than many of the Israelites have. It's amazing. She has assumed the outcome. It says here she was, uh, she was convinced of the supremacy of Jehovah and her earnest supplications for the preservation of her relatives amid the perils of the approaching invasion attest to the sincerity and strength of her faith. This woman had faith that we need to have. She hadn't even seen any of this stuff happen. She didn't even have the benefit of the retrospective that we have now in the 21st century. She didn't have the benefit of any of that. She just went strictly on what she heard and acted on it. She makes the deal or makes the proposition. Here's another lesson that we can learn from her, not just faith. But look at what she did. She just didn't think about herself. She thought about other people. I've said this over and over again. We, yes, God came to save us. But he didn't just come to save just us. We are not saved. Each and every one of us are not merely saved just for ourselves. We are saved to then in turn save others. Look at what she did. She could have said, look, make my deal. I need you to save me, this, this, and that. Okay, I'm going to be right here at this house. You know, okay, when you guys get here, you know, I'll be right here. No. She brings up Mookie and Pookie and Jim Bob and Junebug and everyone else. I need you to save everybody else. All that concerns me. And that's a lesson to us. That's an intimation to us, Matthew Henry says. That in like manner, we need to do all we can for the salvation of souls, of the souls of those who are dear to us and with ourselves to bring them, if possible, into the bond of covenant. And not just those who are near and dear to us, but every person that's within our sphere of influence. She's not just making a deal for herself. She's making a deal for others. She is entering into this deal. What was the result? The deal got sealed. The spies accept her deal, her offer, her proposition. But it came with conditions. It came with conditions. First of all, they said this, listen. 
in response to her proposition, he said, look, they said, look, our life for, our life for yours. In other words, I'm going to treat you and yours the same way I would treat myself and mine. And be it far from me to bring any harm to you that I would bring to myself. That's what they were saying to her. They weren't just merely saying, okay, fine, you did us a favor, okay, we'll do it. No, they were like, oh yeah, we're going to treat you the way we would treat our own because of what you did. But there are a few things you need to do. But before I go on to what she needed to do, notice what happens here. A covenant is being cut here. You know how making a covenant is actually to cut a covenant? How the people would walk between pieces of a dead animal that had been slain and sacrificed, and you walk through it and say, if, I don't, if I'm not true to this covenant, may I be like the pieces of this animal. They were cutting a covenant. They said, our life for yours. May our lives be forfeit if something happens to you, if we're not true to this oath. And she already put her life on the line. She already cut her covenant. She put her life on the line by lying for them. And as far as her lying, that is not a cosign for us to go and lie to get us out of situations. One, this was in a different situation because she was a baby Christian. She lived in a city where lying was the norm. She worked in a profession where, where, where lying was not even a big deal. She did what she knew. Her faith was what got honored, not her lie. Her faith in saving the spies is what caused her to be saved. Her weakness, the lying, was united with faith, and God accepted the faith. And he said, okay, I'll fix the rest later, but I'm going to work with your faith. So they're cutting a covenant. She's put her life on the line. They've put their lives on the line. And now they give her some conditions. One, verses 18 through 20, this is what they tell her. You need to place the line of scarlet thread in this window. Number one, when we come in here, notice their faith as well. We've already won this battle. And they've gotten further encouragement from her because she's already told them, guess what? Everybody's scared. Their hearts are failing because they feel like they're going to lose. So that gave them even further encouragement. So one, you need to put this line in the window because when we come in here like gangbusters, we need to be sure we don't take your house out. We need to be able to identify where you are. And then also number two, that red line of scarlet, which was probably a line of linen from the flats that she, from which she would make linen that she had up on her roof. Not the same rope that she let them down by. This was a separate line of scarlet that she let down. Not only was it as an identifier, but it was also like the blood on the doorposts in Egypt. You have this in your window? Everyone in this place is saved. Does that sound familiar? When you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you're saved. As Walter Pearson once said, under the blood and in the house, that's what the situation was. You got to be in this, first of all, you got to have that line out there. And then you got to be in the house. In other words, Rahab, you need to tell all your folk, Pookie, Mookie, Jim Bob, and everybody, they need to be in this house. They can't loiter out in Jericho 
When we get here, you need to be in this house. Why? The only reason they're being saved is because of their association with Rahab. They have no other basis for being saved but being with Rahab. Likewise, there's no other means of being saved for us or any of us but by our association and our being, being overcome and being wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That's the only basis for our salvation. And it's also a lesson to us. When we come out of the world, when we come out of the things that are not of God, we need to remain in the association of God and his people. Likewise, her relatives were symbolic of that. Once you come into Rahab's house, you don't need to go back and mingle with the Jerichoites. You need to stay in the house. That's where salvation is. And then the final condition was, keep your mouth closed about this mission. If you say anything about what we're doing, the deal is off. Have the, the, have the scarlet line in the window. Make sure you stay in the house and be quiet. And what happens? What happened as a result of this deal? You know what happens. Deliverance. The children of Israel, on a given day at a given time, began their journey around Jericho for seven consecutive days, one march around the city. And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times and then began to shout. And we know it wasn't their shout that did it, that brought the walls down. It was their faith that brought those walls down. Faith in the word of God. And as their walls were coming down, as one pastor said, one preacher I heard said, God must have had a timer on part of the wall, because where did Rahab live? On the wall. But the walls came down. So apparently he must have put a pause on that part of the wall. And she received deliverance. You see in Joshua chapter 6 verse 22, word had gotten back to Joshua when the, when the spies got back. Told them everything that had happened and how Rahab had helped them. So in verse 22 of Joshua 6, Joshua says, Go into the harlot's house and bring out from thence the woman and all that she hath as you swore to her. Verse 25, and Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She was saved because she uttered those fateful words, let's make a deal. Because she chose to make a deal, she was able to be saved. But here's the thing about this whole thing. Here's the thing that we really need to hone in on. Really? We've been focusing on Rahab saying, let's make a deal. But really, the ultimate deal maker here was Jehovah. See, Jehovah He's, not, he's the ultimate deal maker because he was the one who initiated the thought in her mind to begin with, to make the deal.
Because it doesn't come into our minds to repent as humans. It doesn't come into our minds to do what's right. It doesn't come into our minds naturally to want to change our ways. He's the one who initiated the deal in the first place. He's the one who got her to a point that she was willing to listen. And here's the thing about his deal. She was bartering for her life, which was great. But of course, we serve a God who does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask for or imagine. He was asking, or she was asking for her life. He said, oh, I'm going to give you your life, and I'm going to give you some more stuff too. Because guess what? You know what happened with Rahab. She ended up marrying a prince in Israel, a prince of Judah named Solomon. Solomon, of course, was a great-grandfather of King who? David. David, of course, was a forebearer of who? Jesus Christ himself. I'm not just going to save your life. I'm going to make you one of my ancestors. Yes, you, Rahab the harlot. God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Think about this. I can't even wrap my brain around this. The very God who wooed her in the first place to make a deal is the same God for whom she would be an ancestor over 1,000 years before he's incarnated. Can you fathom that? The grace of God, the love of God. He said, not only am I going to save you, I'm going to put you in my family line. What a God we serve, the mercy of God. And that's the same God that makes that offer to us today. You see, God was making this pitch to her all along. The reason why, again, she made the deal is because he was saying to her, let's make a deal. How so? All of the things that she heard about was him whispering to her, make a deal. You see, Romans 2 verse 4 says, the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. Not merely because we think it's a good idea, but it's the goodness of God that preps our hearts, that preps our minds, and makes us open to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I love this quote. The most powerful conviction will not of itself attain the end without grace. And by that grace, Rahab the harlot who had only heard of the wonders of God, that, of the wonders that God had wrought, speaks with more assurance of the truth of the promise made to the fathers than all the elders of Israel who had been eyewitnesses of those wonders and many of whom had perished in the, witness, in the wilderness because of a lack of faith. It was his grace that prepped her to be convicted. All his mighty works that he wrought that was God whispering in her ear, let's make a deal. The conviction that she felt in her life, you know, I need to make a change, that was God whispering to her, let's make a deal. The repentance and change of life that came as a result of everything that she'd heard and experienced, that was God saying, let's make a deal. When the were directed to her house. That was God saying, let's make a deal. Because think about it. As far as reconnaissance missions go, that was an abject failure. They barely got in the city before they got discovered. There was a different mission that God had in mind by the spies being there. 
Yeah, he wanted to encourage them, but he was coming for Rahab. Let's make a deal. You see, this is the whole conclusion of the matter. Are we going to accept the deal that God is making? God made that deal from the foundation of the world. Behold the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Before there was sin, there was a Savior ready to deliver. Before man was even created, God was saying, let's make a deal. And the question is, are we going to accept that deal? The thing is, Joshua and Symbol would be a savior to Rahab, but he would be a judge to the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho. In the same way, Jesus is a savior to those who put their trust in him, but he's a judge to those who reject him. So the question is, what are we going to do with the deal? Are we going to make the deal? Or maybe you've made the deal, but maybe we need to re-consecrate ourselves to that deal. Are we going to recommit ourselves and say, Lord, I accept the deal. I accept your offer of salvation. We serve a God, and I've said this before, whose default setting is to save. Lucifer wants to make it sound like, or Satan wants to make it sound like he's a God who's hateful. He's vengeful. He's out to get you. No, he is a God who wants to save us. The question is, are we going to accept the deal? From the book of Genesis to Revelation, it's the story about God making man, man leaving God, and God doing everything possible to win man back. Let's make a deal. Are you going to make that deal? I don't know if there's anyone present who, like me, wants to recommit myself to the deal. But if you do, why don't you stand with me? I want to recommit myself to making this deal with Jesus Christ. To living and dwelling with him, staying in the house, being able to grow from grace to grace, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want to re-solidify, recommit myself to the deal that God put in place from the foundation of the very world and let's close our eyes and bow our heads because I want to give the opportunity to someone that there's anyone present who hasn't made a decision for Jesus Christ who hasn't accepted Jesus's offer or proposition to make a deal you can do it at this time now by raising your hand if there's anyone who hasn't made that deal already, but you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is a God who is chasing you, who has chased you from before the foundation of this world, before there was a human on this planet. He had a plan in place for you. Is there anyone who wants to accept that deal? Raise your hand. Is there anyone who wants to accept that? And if there's anyone in the listening audience who wants to accept that deal, call this church, Tallahassee First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Look it up. Call the number. 
ask for anyone, anyone, whether it's the elder, whether it's the usher, whoever answered the phone, tell them, I want to make a deal. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want him in, to come into my life. I want him to come. I want to be able to come into his kingdom when he comes again in the clouds of glory. And I want him to help me win my friends and family also. You contact this church. If there's anyone here, again, who wants to raise their hand and say, I accept the deal, Jesus. I accept your love. I accept your grace. And if you were too shy to raise your hand or say anything, go to Gary. Go to Ivan. Go to anybody. Go to anybody in here. Go anyone, if they're a member here, you go to them and tell them, look, I want to make a deal. You put me in touch with whoever I need to be in touch with to come into covenant with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for making the deal with us. We thank you for the offer of making the deal to accept your salvation, which is free. It costs you, but it's free to us. I ask you, Father, to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us where we have fallen short of your glory. Forgive me for where I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And I ask you, Lord, to create within us clean hearts. Renew right spirits within us. Purge us with hyssop so that we will be clean. Wash us so that we will be whiter than snow. And I ask you, Father, to baptize all of us with your precious Holy Spirit. Empower us, Father, to live lives which are right and pleasing before you. I ask you, Lord, to empower us to walk the way you walked. Father, we just ask you to come in and live out your righteous life through us, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And give us the spirit to submit to your working, to your sanctification process. And Lord, I ask you to give us the power, the enthusiasm, the incentive, the love to share your grace with others so that they will experience what we have experienced, so that they will make the deal. And Lord, if there's anyone listening who needs to accept your salvation, wants you to come into their life, and if there's anyone present here who needs to make that decision for you, I ask you, Father, to press them to make that deal with you and give them the courage to step out in faith and to take your hand and to let you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask for and imagine. We thank you, Lord, for advancing your blessings. Uphold us with your free spirit, and we will be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of Jesus, and for his sake we do pray. Amen.